I'm Tracy from Stuff You Missed in History Class. Are you a small business owner or even someone who dreams of entrepreneurship? Then check out Season 2 of Mind the Business, small business success stories from iHeart Podcasts and Intuit QuickBooks. Join hosts Austin Hankwitz and Janice Torres as they interview entrepreneurs sharing insights around starting and nurturing a small business. You won't want to miss these inspiring stories of entrepreneurship and discovering ways to business differently so you can too. Planning your next trip? Choice Hotel's family of 22 brands has over 7,400 locations and the perfect hotel for any traveler you want to be. Like a Cambria Hotel serving up locally inspired craft cocktails for all my folks who maybe want to meet up and talk about Mad Royals. Check into a Radisson Hotel with flexible workspaces for you strivers who listen during business travel. Or a Comfort Hotel with free hot breakfast, family-friendly pools, and big spacious rooms for the parents who listen with their kids and need a little retreat. What are you waiting for? Join Choice Privileges and start earning points toward your next stay. Find a stay for any you when you book direct at choicehotels.com, where travels come true. What does every grocery store aisle now have in common? Products that come in paper packaging. And not just the obvious ones like cereal boxes and juice cartons. From beauty products to boxed water, there are more opportunities to go papertarian than ever before. So why should you? Because paper comes from a renewable resource and can be recycled up to seven times. Simply put, it's the smart choice for the environment. And it turns out the easiest choice for you. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. Happy Pride from Tomboy X, celebrating pride in the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women, creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection, obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes three extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. Welcome to Stuff You Missed in History Class, a production of iHeartRadio. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Tracy V. Wilson. And I'm Holly Fry. As folks are probably aware, on March 9th of this year, the Falklands Maritime Heritage Trust announced that the Endurance 22 expedition had found the wreck of Sir Ernest Shackleton's ship Endurance in the Weddell Sea in Antarctica. We got tons and tons and tons of notes from listeners about this, and then I was surprised to discover that we didn't already have an episode on Shackleton or on this expedition in which the Endurance was lost. It's kind of at an intersection of things that are a little bit of a running theme in the show. We've got exploration, we've got a shipwreck. So I decided it was time to fix that and to fix it twice uh, because while Shackleton's expedition aboard the Endurance has become his most well-known expedition to Antarctica, it wasn't the only one. And one aspect of the expedition is often overlooked. So this turned into a two-parter. And there's also just, there's so much still going on in the world right now that I enjoyed spending my time immersing myself in this dramatic rescue, and I thought other folks might as well. Heads up, though, this is about survival in extreme conditions. And while there is no cannibalism and there's no loss of the entire party, uh, as happens in a lot of these other stories, there are some human deaths and there are a lot of animal deaths, including eating the meat from animals that might be taboo in some cultures. So while I find it to be an overall (laughs) positive story, there are difficult parts to it. 
less harrowing than it could be, not entirely void of chagrin. Right. (laughs) So Ernest Henry Shackleton was born in County Kildare, Ireland, on February 17th, 1874. He was the second of 10 children born to Henry and Henrietta Letitia Sophia Shackleton. Henry Shackleton is often described as a doctor, but when Ernest was born, he was a farmer. Then, in 1879 and 80, economic factors, poor weather, and potato blight sparked a famine in parts of Ireland. This wasn't nearly as deadly or destructive as the Great Famine of the 1840s and 50s, which we have covered on the show before, but it did lead to hunger and hardship. And it was after this that Henry Shackleton decided to become a doctor. The Shackleton family moved to Dublin so Henry could study medicine at Trinity College. Then from there, they moved to Croydon and then to Sydenham, where Henry established a medical practice. Croydon and Sydenham are both part of Greater London today, and the family home in Sydenham was not far from the Crystal Palace. Everything connects. Uh, Ernest's early education involved being taught at home by a governess. Eventually, he was enrolled at Fur Lodge Preparatory School and then at Dulwich College. He particularly loved reading, and he came in second in English history and literature during his last year at the school. But, much to his father's displeasure, he decided to end his education at the age of 16 and go to sea. He wanted to join the Royal Navy, but he didn't have the money to do that, so he joined the Merchant Marine instead. He didn't give up his love of books, though. He was always known for reading literature and poetry while at sea. Shackleton worked his way up through the ranks, sailing all over the world, and he earned his certificate as a Master Mariner in April of 1898, at the age of 24. He also became a Fellow of the Royal Geographical Society of London. During the South African War, also known as the Second Boer War, he worked as an officer on ships that carried mail and packages back and forth between Southampton, England, and Cape Town, South Africa. One of those voyages was aboard the Tintagel Castle, where Shackleton served as third officer. And in March of 1900, he and the ship's surgeon, W. McLean, published OHMS, or How 1,200 Soldiers Went to Table Bay. This was an account of the voyage, and it was Shackleton's first major published work. It was also on this voyage that Shackleton met Lieutenant Cedric Longstaff, whose father was one of the major financial backers of the British National Antarctic Expedition, which was being headed by Captain Robert Falcon Scott. This was also called the Discovery Expedition for the ship that carried it, and Shackleton wound up joining the expedition as the Discovery's third lieutenant. For context... This was during the heroic age of Antarctic exploration that spanned from 1897 to 1922. And during that 25-year period, eight different countries embarked on 16 major polar expeditions. This included the race to the South Pole between Roald Amundsen and Robert Falcon Scott, which was a recent Saturday classic. And that race took place roughly a decade after the Discovery Expedition. Unlike the Age of Discovery, roughly 500 years before, this uh, heroic age of Antarctic exploration didn't involve purportedly exploring places that already had an established indigenous population. Although Antarctica was known to the Maori roughly a thousand years before it was known to Europeans, and it may have been visited by Polynesians in about the 7th century. 
At the same time, though, there was a similar sense of scientific inquiry and nationalism and commercialism running all through both of these periods, and both were competitive. The nations involved all wanted to be the first to discover or achieve something and to plant their flags somewhere new. The public also followed the polar expeditions with intense interest. They were through such remote, inhospitable territory with limited supplies and an even more limited ability to keep in touch with the rest of the world. Everything lent itself to dramatic accounts of tragic losses and heroic rescues and courage under the most arduous and terrifying of circumstances, which people only got to hear about after a team made it back to some semblance of safety, or after another team found what was left of them and came back with their journals and logs. The British National Antarctic Expedition that Shackleton joined in 1901 wasn't the first British expedition to the Antarctic. That was the British Antarctic Expedition, which was also known as the Southern Cross Expedition. That expedition had embarked in 1898. But the Southern Cross Expedition was privately financed, while the Discovery Expedition was an official British effort that was backed by the Royal Society and the Royal Geographical Society, The sense of competition and bragging rights and who got to be first even extended to these two British efforts. The royal societies were not all that pleased that a privately financed venture with a largely Norwegian crew under the command of a Norwegian who had settled in Australia had basically scooped them. On the way to Antarctica aboard the Discovery, Shackleton was in charge of the stores, which he liked, and measuring the density and salinity of seawater samples, which he did not. He also edited and typed a magazine that the crew put together called South Polar Times. And he saw some tensions aboard the ship. Scott was an officer in the Royal Navy, but Shackleton had come up through the Merchant Navy, joining the Royal Navy Reserve when he joined the Discovery's crew. A lot of the Royal Navy men looked down on people like Shackleton, and Royal Navy officers usually observed a formality that a lot of the men from the Merchant Navy really didn't. was fed into a lot of divisions and stratification, and Shackleton didn't really like that. He and Scott also had different temperaments and approaches, and they butted heads a lot. In spite of those differences, Shackleton was chosen to accompany Scott and zoologist Dr. Edward Wilson on a journey over the Ross Ice Shelf, at the time called the Great Ice Barrier. They were headed south as far as they could go, all the way to the South Pole if possible. But they didn't get nearly as far as they wanted. They had too much gear to carry it all at once, so they had to divide their loads and carry them in a relay. None of them really had any experience handling dogs or sledges, and many of their dogs died or had to be shot. Plus, Scott was really determined to press on, even when they were all sick and obviously running out of food, and Shackleton and Wilson had to really work to convince him to turn back. By the time they got back to base, all three men had scurvy, and Shackleton's condition was bad enough that he was sent home on a supply ship in 1903. Scott dismissed him with a generally favorable note. Quote, This gentleman has performed his work in a highly satisfactory manner, but unfortunately his constitution has proved unequal to the rigors of a polar climate. It is with great reluctance that I order his return and trust that it will be made evident that I do so solely on account of his health and that his future prospects may not suffer. 
For Shackleton's part, he later maintained that he had not been nearly as sick as Scott had made it sound. So there is some speculation that he was sent home in 1903, not because he was seriously ill, but because Scott was tired of dealing with him. We'll get to what Shackleton did after getting home after a quick sponsor break. I'm Tracy V. Wilson from Stuff You Missed in History Class. Did you know small businesses make up 99.9% of all businesses in the United States? The world is powered by entrepreneurs. And if you're a small business owner or even someone dreaming of starting your own business, then you'll want to check out Season 2 of Mind the Business, small business success stories from Ruby Studio, from iHeartMedia, and Intuit QuickBooks. And every episode, hosts Austin Hankwitz and Janice Torres talk to entrepreneurs about how they've grown from the lessons of launching and nurturing a small business, and how they have found success being their own boss. From the excitement of first starting out to finding the right tools and resources to process invoices and payments like QuickBooks Money, you won't want to miss these inspiring stories of entrepreneurship and discovering ways to business differently so you can too. And if you're a small business owner or even someone dreaming of starting your own business, then you'll want to check out Season 2 of Mind the Business, small business success stories from Ruby Studio, from iHeartMedia, and Intuit QuickBooks. Planning your next trip? Choice Hotels has a stay for any traveler you want to be with 22 brands and over 7,400 locations. Whether you're a business traveler, a family road tripper, someone who wants to seek out history and maybe make your own, or just planning a quick getaway, Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. Like a Cambria Hotel, where you can be a cocktail connoisseur and sip locally inspired craft beverages at downtown locations in the center of it all. This is a fun way to visit cities with a lot of history and a lot of fun in mind. Or a Radisson Hotel for for all our productivity powerhouses out there. With flexible workspaces and on-site restaurants, you'll get the most out of your work trip. You'll get the coffee, the Wi-Fi, and the work done. And we can't forget about comfort hotels. Imagine you're a family road tripper, waking up in your big spacious room and then heading down to a free hot breakfast for the entire family, including waffles. So you'll be well-fed and ready for the day's adventure, even if that's just relaxing. After that, you're spending all afternoon relaxing by the pool. You deserve it. What are you waiting for? Join Choice privileges and start earning points toward your next stay. Find a stay for any you. Book directly at choicehotels.com, where travels come true. Happy Pride from Tomboy X, celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women, creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection, obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes three extra small through 6X. Visit tomboyx.com. If you use paper, you're a human, but if you choose paper, you're a papertarian, someone who lives a paper-based lifestyle because it has a positive impact on the planet. And also because it's the easiest choice you'll make all day. Seriously. It's as easy as reaching for boxed instead of bottled water. It's as easy as opting for beauty products that come in paper packaging. It's as easy as grabbing eggs in a cardboard container. And that's all in one trip to the grocery store, which, if everyone's being honest, you were planning to go to anyway. But paper isn't just an easy choice. Papertarians know that it's the smart choice, too. Because paper comes from trees, a renewable and sustainably managed resource. And paper products are designed to be recycled. 
In fact, when you choose products that come in paper-based packaging, those fibers can go on to be recycled up to seven times. So why wouldn't you go Papertarian? Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. After getting back to the UK, Ernest Shackleton spent some time as a journalist, and he published an account of the voyage. He became secretary of the Scottish Geographical Society, and he ran for parliament. He did not win that election. He also got married to Emily Mary Dorman on April 9th of 1904. They eventually went on to have three children, Raymond, Cicely, and Edward. And he started planning and raising money for an expedition to reach both the geographic and magnetic South Poles, which he announced in February of 1907. And he was not the only person working on an expedition. When Robert Falcon Scott heard about Shackleton's announcement, he got in touch, noting that he also had unannounced plans for the pole. Scott asked Shackleton not to use his base on Ross Island at McMurdo Sound. And the two men had kind of a tedious back and forth about it, with Scott trying to claim the whole sound essentially as his territory, and Shackleton arguing that he didn't object to Scott retaining control of the base he had already established, but he couldn't just say that no one else could use the entire sound. By the time Shackleton departed, they hadn't exactly come to an agreement, but Shackleton had agreed to avoid the area if he could. Scott, in this whole exchange, kind of comes across as saying, I licked all of this. Right? It's all mine. I peed a circle around Antarctica. <laughs> you can't go there. <laughs> so as with the Southern Cross and Discovery expeditions back in 1898 and 1901, there was this sense that Shackleton and Scott were rivals in this instead of each of them organizing expeditions for Britain that were all working toward the same goal. And this extended beyond this dispute between the two men themselves. Shackleton's expedition was funded through loans and donations, and it didn't have official backing or funding from the government or the British Admiralty or the Royal Geographic Society. All of those entities were really focused on backing the expedition that Scott was still planning when the Shackleton expedition departed. Shackleton's expedition was also known as the British Antarctic Expedition, and it was called the Nimrod Expedition for the ship they were on. The ship set sail that August after being inspected by King Edward VII and Queen Alexandra. Shackleton himself was not on board, though. He and several other members of the expedition stayed behind and wrapped up some loose ends before taking another ship south and meeting up with the Nimrod in New Zealand. They were kind of in a hurry. The reason Shackleton had announced the expedition when he did and set the timeline was out of fear that some other expedition was going to get to the pole first if they didn't. So some of their funding and supplies had had to be cobbled together pretty quickly. This meant he had to buy a much smaller, older ship than he really wanted because it was the only one he could afford. The Nimrod was so small that it could not hold their personnel, their gear, and enough coal to both power the ship and last to the expedition. So another ship had to tow the Nimrod from New Zealand to Antarctica. While some aspects of the expedition seemed kind of thrown together, Shackleton had also taken the time to consult with Norwegian explorers Fritjof Nansen and Otto Sevdrup to see what he could learn from their expeditions through the Arctic. 
He didn't take all of their advice, though. When the Nimrod set sail for Antarctica, it was carrying dogs, sledges, and a prefabricated insulated hut that could be assembled once they arrived, something that freed up a lot of space on board for other materials and equipment. But he also had a dozen Manchurian ponies and a car that was meant to help haul all their gear. Nansen and Sverdrup had advised against both the ponies and the car, but Shackleton had stuck to his plan, arguing that the ponies could haul a lot more than dogs could and that the car had been specially modified for Arctic conditions. Shackleton was not the only person to try to use ponies in Antarctica. That was also part of Scott's expedition that happened later. (laughs) The Norwegians were always like, I don't know why the Americans think that dogs are not the best way to go. They keep insisting on these ponies. Uh, The Nimrod arrived in Antarctica on January 1st, 1908, after having stopped in New Zealand. But when they got to Antarctica, many of their potential landing points were blocked by ice. The only place they could find that seemed workable was not far away from Scott's base on Ross Island. Shackleton didn't think he had any other choice but to set up his camp where he could, as far away from Scott's base as he could feasibly get, but Scott really saw this as a betrayal and an attempt to horn in on his expedition. After dropping off the shore party, the Nimrod returned to New Zealand. The shore team spent the last months of the summer establishing a camp, climbing the Mount Erebus volcano, taking scientific observations and readings, and generally preparing to ride out the Antarctic winter before departing for the poles. As a note, uh, Antarctica has two seasons, with summer stretching roughly from October to February and winter from March to September. On September 25th, 1908, Edgeworth David left for the Magnetic South Pole, and then Shackleton left for the Geographic Pole on October 29th. Shackleton's team took the four surviving ponies, because again, they had not fared very well, and David's team had the car. Both teams struggled. They had to fight against heavy winds on their outbound trip. That specially modified car worked best on flat ice, but much of the terrain the team needed to cover was not flat, or it was covered in deep snow. Even in the best conditions, it was prone to overheating and breaking down, so David's team could only use it to set supply depots for the return trip, and they had to haul their gear to the pole themselves. And although some expeditions to the Arctic Circle had used ponies successfully, the ones that Shackleton brought to Antarctica did not fare well, as we said. Some had gotten sick or injured while still at sea, or they had to be shot early on. On the very first day of their trek to the pole, a pony kicked a member of Shackleton's team in the leg so hard that it exposed bone. The ponies often sank in deep snow up to their bellies. It made it just impossible for them to haul their equipment. Some of them also died after eating volcanic sand, and one died after falling into a crevasse. Shackleton's team also ran low on food, and so they wound up eating or storing some of the ponies' meat. And then as the ponies died, they also ate their leftover fodder. Shackleton made it farther during this expedition than he had during his attempt with Robert Falcon Scott. But on January 7th, 1909, he and his team turned back after realizing they would run out of food if they kept going. They were about 97 nautical miles from the South Pole. On their return trip, they had a hard time finding the supply depots that they had left on the way out. 
On January 26, they ran completely out of food, so one of the men went ahead to the next supply depot and returned with some pony meat. And then they all got dysentery after eating it. Meanwhile, David's team successfully reached what they believed to be the magnetic South Pole on January 16th of 1909. They planted a British flag there and they took pictures. Something we know today that they didn't know at the time is that the Earth's magnetic poles move around due to the changes in the magnetic field. Uh, Later on, geologist Douglas Mawson also realized that some old calculations had been off when they had been trying to figure out where they were going. And so what they planted the flag on was more on the outskirts of the magnetic polar region, not like centrally located on the pole. They also dealt with snow blindness and hunger and a grueling pace on their return trip They were trying to get back to the Nimrod in time for it to depart before risking getting frozen in. They succeeded. They were back aboard the Nimrod on February 5th. As ice and bad weather started to threaten the ship, it had to leave McMurdo Sound to find a safer harbor. But that meant that when Shackleton's team got back to camp on February 28th, there was no ship there waiting to pick them up. To make things worse, in the last days of their return trip, surgeon and cartographer Eric Stewart Marshall had collapsed, so Shackleton and Frank Wilde had left him behind with second-in-command Jameson Boyd Adams so they could try to get help from the Nimrod. Shackleton and Wilde set fire to one of their huts, and the crew aboard the Nimrod saw their signal and returned to pick them up. A team went back for Marshall and Adams, and then the Nimrod left with everyone aboard on March 4th, 1909. Some of the men were injured or very sick, and they had to leave a bunch of personal items and equipment behind because they were afraid if they took the time to load it on the ship, they were going to get stuck there in the ice. But ultimately, they had all survived. The team had written and printed copies of a book called Aurora Australis while overwintering in Antarctica. Shackleton later worked with Edward Saunders to write a two-volume work, The Heart of the Antarctic. We'll get to the next phase of Shackleton's life after another quick sponsor break. I'm Tracy V. Wilson from Stuff You Missed in History Class. Did you know small businesses make up 99.9% of all businesses in the United States? The world is powered by entrepreneurs, and if you're a small business owner or even someone dreaming of starting your own business, then you'll want to check out Season 2 of Mind the Business, small business success stories from Ruby Studio, from iHeartMedia, and Intuit QuickBooks. And every episode, hosts Austin Hankwitz and Janice Torres talk to entrepreneurs about how they've grown from the lessons of launching and nurturing a small business, and how they have found success being their own boss. From the excitement of first starting out to finding the right tools and resources to process invoices and payments like QuickBooks Money, you won't want to miss these inspiring stories of entrepreneurship and discovering ways to business differently so you can too. And if you're a small business owner or even someone dreaming of starting your own business, then you'll want to check out Season 2 of Mind the Business, small business success stories from Ruby Studio, from iHeartMedia, and Intuit QuickBooks. 
planning your next trip, Choice Hotels has a stay for any traveler you want to be with 22 brands in over 7,400 locations. Whether you're a business traveler, a family road tripper, someone who wants to seek out history and maybe make your own, or just planning a quick getaway, Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. Like a Cambria Hotel, where you can be a cocktail connoisseur and sip locally inspired craft beverages at downtown locations in the center of it all. This is a fun way to visit cities with a lot of history and a lot of fun in mind. Or a Radisson Hotel for all our productivity powerhouses out there. With flexible workspaces and on-site restaurants, you'll get the most out of your work trip. You'll get the coffee, the Wi-Fi, and the work done. And we can't forget about comfort hotels. Imagine you're a family road tripper, waking up in your big spacious room and then heading down to a free hot breakfast for the entire family, including waffles. So you'll be well-fed and ready for the day's adventure, even if that's just relaxing. After that, you're spending all afternoon relaxing by the pool. You deserve it. What are you waiting for? Join Choice Privileges and start earning points toward your next stay. Find a stay for any you. Book directly at choicehotels.com, where travels come true. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. If you use paper, you're a human. But if you choose paper, you're a papertarian, someone who lives a paper-based lifestyle because it has a positive impact on the planet, and also because it's the easiest choice you'll make all day, seriously. It's as easy as reaching for boxed instead of bottled water. It's as easy as opting for beauty products that come in paper packaging. It's as easy as grabbing eggs in a cardboard container. And that's all in one trip to the grocery store, which, if everyone's being honest, you were planning to go to anyway. But paper isn't just an easy choice. Papertarians know that it's the smart choice, too. Because paper comes from trees, a renewable and sustainably managed resource. And paper products are designed to be recycled. In fact, when you choose products that come in paper-based packaging, those fibers can go on to be recycled up to seven times. So why wouldn't you go Papertarian? Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash Papertarian. The Nimrod expedition returned to England in June of 1909, and Shackleton reunited with his wife. When he was telling her about his decision to turn back rather than pressing on for his goal of the geographic South Pole, he said, quote, better a living donkey than a dead lion. I love that quote so much. I don't even know what to do with myself. I'm like, yeah. Uh, Although he hadn't had official funding or backing when he departed for the South Pole, Shackleton was hailed as a hero when he returned. He was knighted and awarded the Royal Geographic Society gold medal, and he received about 20,000 pounds to help pay off the expedition's debts. Shackleton went on a lecture tour. He talked about the expedition's experiences and discoveries, and he gave away a lot of the money he earned from that. He also used the expedition's fame to raise money for charities. He did things like having the Nimrod towed to Temple Pier so that members of the public could tour it, and then he donated the money that they paid to go aboard to hospitals. 
During this time, Roald Amundsen's team reached the geographic South Pole. And at that point, Shackleton started thinking about another ambitious plan, the Imperial Trans-Antarctic Expedition, which would cross the entire Antarctic landmass. He started planning this in 1913 and quickly realized that the crossing would take almost four months, at minimum, which meant that there was just no way they could carry everything they would need with them. So he planned for two teams aboard two ships. The Endurance would carry one team to the Weddell Sea to trek across Antarctica. The Aurora would carry another team, the Ross Sea Party, to McMurdo Sound. The Ross Sea Party, under the command of A.E. McIntosh, would travel inland and place depots every 60 miles to supply the endurance team for the second half of the journey. Funds for this expedition came from private donors and the British government and the Royal Geographic Society. And Shackleton recruited a team. A lot of them were people who had been to Antarctica previously, either with him or otherwise, There's a probably apocryphal advertisement that comes up a lot as part of this effort, but it's fun, so I'm going to read it. Quote, Men wanted for hazardous journey, small wages, bitter cold, long months of complete darkness, constant danger, safe return doubtful, honor and recognition in case of success. I want that to be, like, every job ad going forward. (laughs) It isn't a lot of books about, like, best advertisements, but (laughs) nobody has been able to track down anywhere that it actually ran. And it's Mm -hmm. one of those things where the first places that it appears in print that we've been able to find are many years later, mostly in books about advertising. Right. But... Regardless of all of that, just as he was preparing for departure, on June 28, 1914, Archduke Franz Ferdinand of Austria and his wife Sophie, Duchess of Hohenberg, were assassinated. Soon, Britain was at war. And of course, it seemed like this expedition would no longer be a priority. Without talking to anyone about it, including the people financing the expedition, Shackleton offered the endurance to the British government for the war effort. That offer was declined, and First Lord of the Admiralty Winston Churchill advised Shackleton to continue as planned. The Endurance set sail on August 8, 1914. Shackleton was not on the ship when it left. He once again stayed behind to handle business in Britain and caught up with the Endurance in Buenos Aires. When the Endurance left there for Antarctica, it carried 28 people, 69 Canadian sledging dogs, and one cat. That was Mrs. Chippy, who turned out to be male. And that name was given to the cat because he was particularly fond of the ship's carpenter, Harry McNish. Like a lot of other carpenters, he was nicknamed Chippy. One of the 28 people was a stowaway. That was Percy Blackborough, who had been turned away when he applied for the expedition because of his youth and inexperience. Some of the crew smuggled Blackborough aboard, and although Shackleton was livid when he found out about this, Blackborough was eventually made the ship's steward and apparently did a good job at that. Although Shackleton was to lead the voyage across Antarctica, the ship's captain was Frank Worsley. The team also included a biologist, a meteorologist, a physicist, and a geologist. James Francis Hurley of Australia, known as Frank, was the official photographer, and advanced sale of the rights to his work was a source of funding for the expedition. George Marston was the expedition's official artist. They made their way to Antarctica via South Georgia Island in the Southern Atlantic Ocean. 
South Georgia Island is British territory, and it was home to a Norwegian whaling station at Gritviken. The Endurance arrived at Gritviken in early November of 1914, and the sailors there told them that the weather had been unusually wet. That was a signal that the sea ice in Antarctica had not broken up yet. Shackleton had planned to stay at Gritviken for just a few days to take on food and other supplies, including two live pigs. But he wound up staying until December 5th, hoping that as the Antarctic summer progressed, the sea ice would break up enough for the ship to pass through. The Endurance got to the edge of the pack ice two days later, and the crew spent the next six weeks trying to make their way through it. The ship was powered by both steam and sail, so if they found a crack in the ice, they could try to force their way through it. But this was really slow going, and sometimes they had to backtrack entirely as they wound up somewhere that the ice was totally impassable. In January, the endurance started to get stuck. Men got off the boat and tried to hack away at the pack ice with things like chisels and crowbars, trying to break through enough that the ship's steam power could open a path. Or they would see an open channel of water and try to break away the ice so the ship could just get there. But none of these efforts worked, and as January turned into February, it became clear that they were stuck until the end of winter. Overwintering on the ship while stuck in the Antarctic pack ice had not been part of the plan, and the ship just wasn't really outfitted for that. Most of the crew quarters were higher up in the decks. They were not insulated enough to make them livable over the winter, so the crew rearranged things to make their situation more comfortable. They cleared out a storage area between the decks, and they built these little cubicles to use as sleeping spaces. With a stove running, it was fairly warm, and the crew nicknamed this space the Ritz. They also used ice blocks to build houses on the ice for the dogs and the pigs. They nicknamed these dogloos and pigloos. They reallocated the ship's rations to account for all 28 men overwintering there instead of leaving only a smaller party behind. They supplemented their food by hunting things like seals and penguins. They also tried to keep everyone's morale up with things like hockey and soccer games and reading aloud and putting on plays, just trying to think up ways they could entertain one another. Meteorologist Leonard D.A. Hussey had a banjo, and he and some of the others made up songs to play on it. They also played with all those dogs and worked with them on sledging, sometimes holding races between the teams. Frank Hurley documented all of this through still images and film. Many of these images still exist today, and they are hauntingly beautiful. Shackleton had tried to prevent the kinds of divisions and hierarchies that he had seen in his first expedition to Antarctica. Everybody worked regardless of what their role was on the expedition and whether that work would normally be part of their job. They had to keep an eye on the ice, including overnight, so if the ice suddenly cracked, they would know it was happening. And he arranged the watch rotation so that as many people as possible were getting a good night's sleep, and everyone got a turn keeping watch. When the rations were redivided, they were distributed so that everybody got some of the best food rather than keeping all the best stuff for the officers. Although Shackleton was focused on keeping everyone's spirits up, by July, he also thought the loss of the endurance was inevitable, saying to Frank Worsley, what the ice gets, the ice keeps. In August, pressure started to lift up huge blocks of ice in the ice pack. The grinding ice flattened the dog's ice houses. 
The dogs had to be evacuated back to the ship, and the ice was putting enormous amounts of pressure on the ship itself. Again and again, the team thought that the ice was about to overwhelm the ship and crush it or cause it to capsize. As the weather started to warm and some of the ice started to melt, things were still very treacherous. On October 13th, the ice briefly opened around the Endurance and it was afloat again, but everything quickly refroze. On October 18th, ice damaged the hull, and the ship listed sharply enough that items aboard were thrown into disarray. The crew lashed down everything they could, and they tried to move boulders of ice away from the ship with poles. But a day later, it looked like the ship might be able to free itself. The pool of open water around it was big enough that they caught a glimpse of a whale down there, but everything around that pool was frozen solid. Shackleton ordered the boilers to be lit so they could get underway if the ice opened up and the men started clearing all the ice they could and the debris away from the ship's rudder. For days, they did everything they could to keep the ice clear and be prepared to go at a moment's notice. But then on October 24th, pressure from the ice converged on the ship from three directions. It started taking on water, too much water for the ship's pumps to clear the men started to remove all the gear and supplies from the ship that they could as the ship started listing hard to one side. Shackleton gave the order to abandon ship on October 27th. He wrote in his journal, quote, after long months of ceaseless anxiety and strain, after times when hope beat high and times when the outlook was black indeed, the end of the endurance has come. But though we have been compelled to abandon the ship, which is crushed beyond all hope of ever being righted, we are alive and well, and we have stores and equipment for the task that lies before us. The task is to reach land with all the members of the expedition. It is hard to write what I feel. To a sailor, his ship is more than a floating home, and in the endurance I had centered ambitions, hopes, and desires." Now, straining and groaning, her timbers cracking and her wounds gaping, she is slowly giving up her sentient life at the very outset of her career. And that is where we're ending it for today. Not the most upbeat place. <laughs> no, and in, uh, in working on these two episodes over the course of revisions, I moved this uh, episode break so many different spots. It made a, it made its own little journey. Where are we going to break this story? We're going to break it here with them trapped on the ice. Dun, dun, dun. Do you have listener mail to tide us over while we wait to find out what happened? I sure do. Um, I'm very excited about this listener mail because it is an update on the Lucy Parsons mural that we talked about in uh, the listener mail segment of our Doña Tulis episode. Listener Catherine had written in talking about a mural and I had not been able to track down uh, information about the mural before we got into the studio. So this came to us just this morning on Twitter from Sumiko, who sent us two links to two different Lucy Parsons murals in Chicago. So thank you, Sumiko, for sending this. Uh, The one that Catherine was describing at Belmont and Kedzie is by Chema Scandal and was dedicated in 2019. And this is a a mural of Lucy in a pink hat. Her face is like green on one side and a darker pink on the other. And there's a very, very colorful kind of swirly background. 
When I had gone Googling to try to figure out more about this mural and who the artist was, the only result I got about a Lucy Parsons mural in Chicago was for a totally different mural that sadly no longer exists. That is the one by Mike Aylwitz. This was called Teamster Power, and it commemorated the 1997 UPS strike. And in the mural, which again, it's like the whole side of a building, it's very big, Lucy is on one side of it and Albert is on the other side and there's a whole lot that happens in the middle. I had incorrectly thought that the picture that Catherine sent was like a crop of a smaller piece of this much bigger mural. It was not. It was a totally different thing. Um, Sadly, though, that building that it was painted on no longer exists. It uh, it has been replaced. So that uh, mural, even though that was the mural I was able to find when trying to answer this question, actually no longer exists. So now we know the mural that Catherine wrote about uh, is by Gemma Scandal. Um, these are very visually different murals. And I was like, I, I feel like this has to be a crop of the other one. <laughs> I'm not sure where in this picture it would go. Uh, now I know. It's because I was wrong. <laughs> so thank you again, Sumiko, for sending some tweets about that this morning. Uh, thanks to everybody who sends us email. We are at historypodcasts at iheartradio.com if you would like to send us a note. We're also all over social media at Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest, and Instagram. And you can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you like to get your podcasts. Stuff You Missed in History Class is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. Looking to part ways with complicated, expensive, and uncertain shipping? Then give your business the edge it needs with USPS Ground Advantage Shipping from the United States Postal Service. Keep everything simple with clear upfront pricing and no unexpected surcharges. Keep things affordable with some of the lowest prices out there. And keep it all reliable with on-time ground shipments. It's time to turn shipping to your advantage. Learn how at usps.com advantage. USPS Ground Advantage. Simple. Affordable. Reliable. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350 plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo. Play. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah! 
Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. 